All right, so Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 1, in the month of Nisan. All right, so just for uh, the timeline, uh, Nehemiah's brother and some kind of troop had gone to visit Jerusalem. And the walls were broken down and the people were in shame and despair. So they come back to Babylon. Now this is 500 mile trip, so this isn't an overnighter. This is a long time on foot. And they give a report to Nehemiah. Nehemiah is a Jewish man who's been captured and he's working for the king. And he gets distressed about this. And four months he prays, he plans, he fasts, and he gets clarity about this vision in his head about how he should get involved. He's not just praying, God, you do something. He's saying, God, I want you to do something, but how can you use me? I see some issue, and it's going to be about you. It's going to be for you, but I'm just asking you, how can I be involved in the process? How can, I, how can you pick me up as a tool and use me in a way to fix this issue? And so he's going to end up rebuilding the wall. And so here we are four months later, and I, let's just read through these first eight verses. Uh, in the 20th year of the king... When, when wine was before him, so he's the cupbearer, meaning he drinks or eats stuff, and if he doesn't die, then the king gets to eat or drink it. So he's got a lot of confidence, or a lot of, um, yeah, there's a lot of confidence between the king and himself. Uh, I took up the wine and gave it to him. Now, I'd not been sad in the presence of the king before, and the king said to me, why is your face sad? I can see that you are, you're not sick. This is a, a sadness of the heart. So he can see that, that downcast countenance. Then I was very much afraid. And I said to the king, let the king live forever. Why should not my face be sad when the city, the place of my father's graves, lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire? Then the king said to me, what are you requesting? Huge question, vision question. So I prayed to the God of heaven, and I said to the king, if it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor in your eyes, that you send me to Judah. Judah is like a county, and the, the county seat, the, the main city in Judah, is Jerusalem, to the city of my father's graves, that I may rebuild the wall. And the king said to me, and the queen sitting beside him, how long will you be gone, and when will you return? So it pleased the king to send me when I had given him a time, and then I said, so he's unraveling this plan. This is how long I think I'm going to be gone. And then the king said, um, then I said to the king, if it pleases the king, let letters be given to the governors of the providences between the river where he is. And so he can pass through until I come to Judah. And a letter to Asaph, the keeper of the king's forest, that he may give me timber to make beams for the gates of the fortress of the temple and for the wall of the city. And for the house that I, Nehemiah, am going to eventually occupy. And the king granted me what I asked for, uh, for the good hand of God was upon me. All right, so when we talk about vision, vision is a preferred future. You look out ahead of your life and you prefer something. Now this, again, could be prefer about yourself. I prefer to be a different kind of person next year than I am this year. Whatever that issue may be. Or it may be about your job or your family, whatever that is, doesn't matter. But a vision is I look out ahead and I prefer something to be changed. So I have a vision to get involved. What is it going to cost me to get involved to make sure that happens? 
And again, we're talking about these two sides of the same coin, a vision for your soul, who you want to be, and a vision for yourself, what do you want to do? Now, most men are great at thinking about what do you want to do? I've got a career, and I've got to get this education to get to that point, or I've got to do this job before I can have that job. That's all fine. That's all important. But we don't want to neglect the, in, the interior life. We want our interior life to expand at the same rate our exterior life is expanding. Because otherwise, our exterior life expands. We have a lot more relationships or a lot more responsibility. We don't have a very big interior life. And usually that's disaster, right? You can't handle certain situations or pressure and you fall over. So we're, we're working on both of those at the same time. And this big question that we've been rolling around now for five weeks is, what is it you want? This is the king. Imagine this king who has all the power, this man who's essentially a, a trusted but slave, the king, this king who's got more power than anybody on the earth, says, what do you want? So that's, that's the king of kings. Now we're saying the king of kings, God's asking you, Rich, what do you want? What do you, what do you want? What do you want for yourself? What do you want for your family? What do you want for your city? What do you want for your church? And it's, it, he's coming down to say, let's work together. This is amazing. Why would it, God say that? Like, who are you? I mean, I'm running the universe. He actually wants to build a partnership with you, which is unbelievable. And he's saying, you got certain passions. You got certain desires. What are those? Do you know, you know what those are in your heart? Let's, let's work with those. And every, all of us have different ones. So your vision isn't going to be the same, the same thing as mine. You've got certain ways you've been wired that make you unique. And so we know, because we've been talking about this, it takes time, it takes pounding, it takes practice. You've got to have new spiritual disciplines in your life. We've talked about those. Uh, but the one thing I want to talk about this morning, one more thing I want to add, is it takes courage. Because no matter how clarifying you get the vision, and how much time you spend or patience or prayer or whatever, at some point, you're going to need courage. You can clearly know what to do. Maybe you can clearly know how to do it. But there's going to be some place in the road where you're going to have to, you're going to, have to step forward. You're going to have to say something or do something. And we've all, we all face that. You'll probably face it maybe in a very small way today. But we all face these places where we really need courage. Courage to confront. See, it takes courage to confront problems in yourself. To really just say, I've got this problem. Now, it's not necessarily that difficult to identify the problem. But it's, it takes a lot of courage to ask someone to help you. This is where guys aren't good. I've got a problem. I know it. It's eating me alive. Lust, greed, anger, whatever, you pick one. But oh, I can't tell anybody because, you know, I, can't, I don't have the courage to tell somebody because that's exposing. So it takes a lot of courage just to say out loud, I've got a problem to somebody else. Or it could be some other issue in your business. I've identified a problem, and now to do this, I've got I to gotta act on it. Whatever that is, and there's going to be moments it's going to take real courage. So every significant vision, I think this is up here, every significant vision, this is not news, the Lord births in you is going to put your courage to the test. So let's just be sure of that. So don't think, well, God's going to give me a vision and then every door is going to open. Survey says, eh, it doesn't work that way, right? 
But you get frustrated. You go, God, I think this is it. Now I'm running to this door. Can you believe it? God going, yeah, yeah, this is the way it's designed. I designed it this way so you would always be relying on me rather than you think you're doing it, right? So it, we're not going to be surprised when we come across these difficult parts. Maybe we can say it another way. There's no path with God void of risk or void of a head-on collision with fear. So I say this at 54, and I'm thinking specifically if you're like these college students or you're in your 20s or 30s, just it's not, it's not the easy, the, the, this way is not the easy way. So let's just not get surprised that it's not all rainbows and ponies. It just doesn't work that way. So one, one great example, Joshua. Joshua is probably one of the best leaders in the Bible. He's like a five-star general. And he's the guy who's been following around Moses in the desert. Remember that? Then Moses, he's going to die in the desert. And who gets the charge to get the people who've been living in the desert for 40 years to get across the, the finish line, right, to get across the Jordan and get into the promised land? That's Joshua. And when he gets in there, it's not just, hey, everything's set up. It's got a lot of enemies, got a lot of hostile people here. And, and those people are going to have to be pushed out. And so Joshua's leading these people in, and he's been, he's seen all these incredible things. He's seen some of the most incredible things, how God's been faithful in the desert. And so at the very end of Moses' life, he has a commissioning ceremony. So the old man, he's moving out and he's commissioning. So everybody in the crowd knows, here's the new leader. Here's Joshua. And in Deuteronomy 20, uh, 31, it said, he says, be strong and courageous. You shall bring, here's the vision, you shall bring the people of Israel into the land. So, so I'm leaving. It's going to take a lot of courage, Joshua. Be strong and courageous. So Moses dies, and then Joshua's getting ready to bring people into the battlefield, and he's getting nervous. And God can see he's getting nervous. And the reason we know he's getting nervous is if you read chapter 1 of Joshua, in about nine verses, God comes to Joshua himself and says, be strong and courageous. Well, why would you say that three times in nine verses? Because the general's knees are knocking, right? So he's saying, I, look, th now that you're getting ready to do it, it's even bigger, right? When you see it from afar, oh, I can do it. But then when you get right up close, whoa, I don't know if I can do this. So he, need, he needs that. So if Joshua needs that, then we're going to need it. He, he needs that divine push. And maybe today this is sort of the Lord giving you a divine push in some way. Some way because every significant vision the Lord verse is going to put courage to the test. Unfortunately, what happens is we silently abort a lot of our visions. You don't tell anybody. And then you just you think about it, yeah, I don't know, maybe that's not going to, and then you just abort. You, you have some sense that the Lord's put something on your heart. Now, I'm not, I'm talk, not talking about, let's go, you know, conquer a continent or anything. I'm just talking about, I, I, should, I should do this with my wife. I, sh I, should, I should enact this for my family. I should tell somebody about my problem. I should step forward in this issue at work. Do you see what I'm saying? These are all things, some of them you're going to face today. And you feel like the Lord's, 
The Lord's drawing you to say, you, Paul, step in there and say something or get involved or whatever. And you go, you just in your mind, you have this conversation, do you not? Uh, I don't know. Well, he, he doesn't seem like in good mood today, so maybe another time. And you just, you just silently abort the mission. That, that happens to visions all the time. God gives you some kind of cool vision. So he's stirring your heart, and you, you spend time thinking about it, but you don't really pray and plan. You just think about it. You start worrying about it, and then you just abort. That happens all the time, all the time. So we don't want to silently abort. We've got to make a plan. We've got to help have people come with us. And so we're going to see this moment of courage for Nehemiah in chapter 2. He's had this four months of prayer and planning, and now this moment arrives. He's been praying, God, if there could be some crack in the door where I meet with the king, some way that I could have this conversation. And here it is, four months later. He comes into the king's presence. The first thing we notice that he's sad. He's sad. He's sad. And the thing that's key about that, it's illegal to be sad in front of the king, in front of the leader. You can't be sad. When you come into the king's presence, it's all, it is all rainbows and ponies on your face, right? Every, king, what, what's up? Everything's It's always great. So if, you, if you're not happy in front of the leader, then you get booted out, right? We might just want to remember that here at Christ Community Church. As you come, come into my office, just, how is it, Chris? Everything's great. Everything's great. Just kidding. Um, right. So, so first big risk, just, just exposing his heart, right? That's, I mean, it doesn't seem like a big thing, but this is a big thing. He's never done this before, and the king can see it. Verse 2, I see this as a sadness, sadness of heart, so can you tell me about it? And then just notice the verse, I was very much afraid. So this is, a, this is one of the crossroads. Here, here's the knee knocking. Here's Nehemiah vibrating with fear. And this is the point he could silently abort, right? You feel it. Is he going to step forward? Or is he, he going to say, you know, the wine I just tasted, boss, it was super sour. I don't want you. I mean, you know, there's lots of ways for him to get out of it. So his knees are knocking, he's been praying, he's been planning for four years. Is he going to step forward? Is he going to launch or is he going to abort? And then verse 3 takes this huge step and he spills out the pain that's in his heart. I, uh, my people are in this, this, uh, this state, why, why shouldn't I be sad? And I don't think Nehemiah could have done this four months ago. Right when he, when he first hears the news, if the next day he's in the king's presence and you're sad, I don't think he would have had the courage to say it right there. Because I don't think he would have had the clarity of what he wants to do. But now, four months later, he's got some clarity. He's got some commitment. He's got some, a little bit more internal strength to say, okay, now's the time. And, and it took some time. It took him to, took some time to roll these things through to get his courage up. And fortunately, courage is like a muscle. And you can make the courage muscle bigger just by doing small things over time so that when you get to a bigger thing, you're ready. You wouldn't want to just try to go bench press 500 pounds if you've never lifted weights. That wouldn't look good. Probably couldn't get it off the bar if you did, but you get cut in half, right? And you probably couldn't bench press 500 pounds no matter how long you worked out. 
but you wouldn't want to do something big until you'd built up to this point. And let's just, you're probably familiar with this story. David, remember David and Goliath? So you got all these people on one side of a valley and another group of the Philistines, the bad guys on the other side. And who's in the middle? Goliath. He's the giant, right? And none of God's men, especially the king, Saul, wants to go out and fight the giant. And David shows up. Actually, he's the caterer. He's just bringing some food to his brothers. And he's like, what's going on? Can, why, why isn't anybody facing this guy? And he tells Saul, who is the biggest man in the army, who won't go out. He doesn't have the courage to go out. And he says, I'll go out. And the king says, There's, I mean, no way. You don't have any chance. And this is what David replies. <coughs> Your servant, meaning me, David, he's been keeping the flock, his father's sheep. See, I've been over here when nobody's been looking. And when a lion or bear came and carried off one of the sheep, what did he do? I went after it. I got in my Jeep. I had a mounted gun. Oh, no. I, I, I ran after it. I struck the lion or the bear. I rescued the sheep from its mouth, and when then the animal turned on me, I seized it by its hair. I mean, just imagine, I'm holding the bear's head. And I beat up the bear, I beat up the lion. It's incredible. So, so this guy out here, he's not, it's not going to be a big deal, trust me. Why? Because when nobody was looking, when, when there, there wasn't a whole nation on the line, right? It's just a sheep. I was faithful. I, I exercised courage. So now in this moment, doesn't seem like a big deal. So there's little moments. It will happen for you today for you just to step forward. Just, it might just be in a conversation, a comment, just to build that courage muscle. So then when a bigger time comes, you're more prepared. I'm not saying you're still not going to be nervous but you're more prepared for that moment. So I love the NIV here. I was very much afraid, but my, my faith was bigger than my fear. I was very much afraid, but, and it doesn't say it in the text, but my faith was bigger. My, my, I'd built my muscles over four, four months, and so my faith now is, is bigger than my fear. Never Never keep up with these things, sorry. Okay, so one question we just want to ask, are you exercising faithfully this courage muscle in small ways? Because there will be big moments for every man in here. You've probably faced some of them already. So are you exercising that? Is your faith bigger than your fear? Or are you a person, and you could just say it today, I usually abort the vision. Okay, verse 4, what are you requesting? This is the big question that we've talked about. That's how you answer the vision question. And just notice Nehemiah rips off three things. I need freedom. Okay, this is the servant talking to the king. Queen's next to him, probably some other people around. King, I need freedom. I need to get some time off work from working for you to go work for somebody else. Number two, I, don't think, I think he has all this in one breath personally. 
I mean, I think he's a little nervous, and he's going to get it all out. You know, he's not going to pause because he's afraid he might stop, so he's just going to rip it all out. You ever been in that place? Like, I'm just, I'm, going to, I'm like a volcano. I'm going to get it all out right now. I need freedom. I need your favor. I need some travel documents because there's some enemies from here to there, and you, you, they're your friends, so you got to give me some travel documents. Won't be a problem, King. I got some letters here. Just need you to sign. Number three. I need part of your fortune. You got this nice forest, and I got several things I need to build. One of the things is my own house I'm going to live in. And if you don't mind, just get in a truck of lumber, and can you ship that down to Jerusalem for me so when I arrive, the lumber's on board. Now, I'm just trying to imagine the queen, or if you're just standing around, right after Nehemiah stops, thinking, what is he smoking I mean, what did he get back in the kitchen? Because he's not just going to be thrown out. He's going to be probably executed, right? You don't come to the king and start acting like the king. You don't come and say, king, I need some time off. I mean, I know you need help, but I'm, I'm out of here. Secondly, I need your signature from stuff, and I know you got plenty of money, so I'm going to need some of that. So this was a huge moment for Nehemiah, and it took some time to get to this particular point. And so Nehemiah, he's willing to put everything on the line. That's the, You're not going to have that moment all the time, these little moments of courage. You're not putting everything on the line, but there are sometimes you're putting everything on the line. He's putting his life on the line. He's putting his relationship with the king on the line. He's putting his future on the line. He's put, I mean, this is Nehemiah's, he went from the board into the deep end. He just all in, no chance of turning back. So there's going to be some moments for you that you're just going to have to be all in. And it might come a lot of times for us just saying, you know what, I'm a Christian. And I don't do that. And if you're a businessman and you say that on a business trip, that might lose you something. A relationship, some prestige, maybe some money. So it's, it's not, it's not, you're not going to die, but you might take a step back. You might not get out of this seat. And so at some point, if, it, if your faith is bigger than your fear, you're going to just have to say, I'm a Christian. Lots of opportunities for that if you're in high school or college. Hey, I'm a Christian. You're in that environment, where, especially college, where there's a lot of hostility towards Christianity. That's, you're putting it all on the line. So that's how we're going to feel it. One last point here, verse 8. This very important detail. At the end, notice what, he, what he, Nehemiah says, and the king granted me what I asked for. What I asked for, what? What does it say? For, the king granted all my requests for, I was very courageous. No. For I had a great plan. No. For I was very smart. The king likes me. No. For I took the Dale Carnegie class, How to Win Friends and Influence People, and it's working out right now. No. Why, why was there favor? Because God. You see, this is the kind of person that God's interested in helping. He prays. He has patience, he has a plan, 
He pounds on it. He, ta he takes that courageous step forward. And then when it all comes together, he doesn't step into the spotlight and say, look what I've done. No, he understands, hey, all of this is going to go to God. This is the kind of man that God wants to bless. Because he has a plan. He wants things to get done, but he doesn't want to get things done for, for you to take the glory. He doesn't mind you being a part of it, but when it stands up and says, yeah, look, you know, I took that course and I was this smart, and, and that's not, it's not about you. It's about him in that case. So Nehemiah wasn't just courageous. He, he understood how to give credit to the Lord. But any vision you have it's going to take a moment of courage. And some of these things, you, everything's going to be on the line. Now, I don't know, anybody seen, we'll, we'll end with this short video and then get in groups. Anybody seen the movie Hacksaw Ridge? Yep. Okay, so Hacksaw Ridge, if you haven't seen it, is World War II. It's the uh, battle in the Pacific. And there's, guy, there's a guy named Desmond Doss. You remember the story? He's a pacifist. Uh, or I think that's what he would say. Um, and he's a Christian. And I think he's a Seventh-day Adventist, if I remember right. And he does want to serve. He does feel like I should make a contribution, but I can't carry a rifle. I can't shoot at anybody. So I'm going to go, and I'm going to be a medic. And I'll just try to help out in that form or fashion. It takes a lot of time for him to get involved. But he gets shipped off with this platoon that basically has to climb this pretty steep hill, this ridge, and then fight the enemy, and it's not very pretty. And it happens over several weeks in the movie. It kind of gets compressed into a, a day or two. And what's remarkable about the movie, got the, uh, the Medal of Honor for it, is he, he stands in the face of fire, and he rescues 75 men from their death. And you'll see it here in the movie. There's this moment. It all gets compressed, so it's Hollywood has to compress everything. And we can't say this absolutely happened this way, but he's, he's about ready to come off the ridge. It's gone badly. People are coming back off the ridge, and they're going to have to regroup and try again. And he's right at the edge, and he's the medic, and he just has this conflict. God, what do you want to do? What, what do you want me to do? I can't hear you. And meanwhile, all these explosions are going off. And many times your vision gets clarified by pain that you see in some other place. I see a problem here. I see a problem in, in my high school, so I want to be involved with it. I see a problem in my city, so I want to do something about it. And this cry comes out from, from the smoke, help me, help me. And he goes, that's my vision. I mean, he doesn't say it that way, but that's it. I hear, now I hear it from another. I hear my vision, my God divine, my divine vision, a divine vision by the pain, the painful cry of another person. And then they do it so well in the movie. He walks into all these explosions. Everything's on the line. And, and the way he keeps himself going is, can I just have strength for one more, one more? And so that's just my question for us, courage. First of all, what, do you know what it is you're supposed to be doing? Because if you're not there, you don't need courage. You need, to clar you need clarification, right? 
But probably there's something that's going on. There's pain in your life, pain in the world that somehow God's wired you to. And you just go, I got to somehow, I'm, maybe I'm not quite sure, but I got I to gotta get in there. That's the place I got to get. And then at some point in that way, it's, you're going to have to go all in on that. And that's going to be this moment of courage. powerful moment and, and, and a true moment. And I just love how they have it. He, he doesn't know what to do. And then from, from the smoke, Desmond, help me. And then I love this moment. He looks, all right. I'm going to strap on my helmet and into this fire. I'm going I'm to walk into this fire. That, that's a moment every man has to face. Now, it's probably not going to be as dramatic as this, but but we if the city that's unhealthy is going to change, it's going to take men like you in tiny little conversations of courage just to strap on your helmet and say, all right, I'm going to get involved. 